this morning I want to spend just a little bit of time talking about some of the core things as, that we've been touching on at the start of a year as disciples of Jesus, following God in the big adventure that he's got for us called the kingdom of God. But today I want to talk in particular about when the Holy Spirit moves with power, how do we partner with the person of the Holy Spirit? Somehow through history, um, a lot of the church has assigned the Holy Spirit to being a person who is kind of like this ether that kind of just is out there somewhere and is a non-tangible kind of essence. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, the scriptures clearly articulate and tell us and demonstrate that the person of the Holy Spirit is indeed that, a personal manifestation of the Godhead that we worship. He, uh, the Holy Spirit has character. The Holy Spirit has form. The Holy Spirit has character. And also the Holy Spirit has um, manifest impact and presence upon our lives, as does the Lord Jesus Christ himself, as does the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's really important that we understand how to actually on a day-to-day -day partner with the person of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to kind of reach into that a little bit this morning and give you a few little tools to be able to recognize when the Holy Spirit is at work around you, when the Holy Spirit is at work on you, and when the Holy Spirit is at work through you, so that you can go, hey, it's game on. God's moving. His kingdom's advancing. Jesus' cause is, is furthering. And he's drawn me up into that cause in the earth. So that God gets the glory. Jesus gets famous. People come into the kingdom of God. Okay, so that's where we want to kind of reach into this morning. Uh, when I was 19 years of age, um, I, was, <coughs> I was working. I was... Um, working full-time, training in uh, retail management and, uh, and trying to figure out for myself what this really meant to be in a relationship with God, with Jesus and being who I wanted to be and how the two intersected. And uh, at that point in age and stage for me, I was very comfortable with the idea of Jesus being up there and over there and I'm down here and over here. And I didn't mind the gap between us either. It was like, yep, you up over there, me here, down here, over here. And there's this great sense of distance between the two of us. I didn't mind that. Until I was 19 years of age, my parents were going over to Singapore for uh, some business and for some work at that time. And um, I was due for some holidays at work, and so they invited me to come with them to Singapore. I thought, great, Singapore, I'll go and have a great time, I'll enjoy the food, the, the culture, and, and all the carry-ons. And so, uh, so I'm like, yep, uh, I said, book me a room, let's go. And so um, they did that, they booked me this great room, we are in a really swish pub, and you know, it was so swish, I had my own, you know, big white fluffy gown, my own TV, my own bar fridge. I had the whole thing. It was just a wonderful time. I was enjoying all of it <laughs> because it was on my dad's tab, you know? 
No, and you would never have behaved like that, I'm sure. But on my dad's tab, the tab was there, and so I was going to, you know, see the, <laughs> the extent of the credit, you know, that was there. Anyway, such was his reckless love towards his son. But anyway, um, so we're there at this uh, hotel, having a great time. Mum and Dad go and have some work meetings. They meet with some people and stuff. And then on the Sunday, they say, hey, listen, we're going to church uh, in, the, in the World Trade Centre there in Singapore, up on the 20-something floor. Uh, we're going to church there. Do you want to come with us? So I said, sure, let's go. So, um, so I go to church with mum and dad, top of the World Trade Center in Singapore, and you catch the lift up and you get up there and then all of a sudden you get outside the lift and you kind of like, you get surprised, you know, there's this auditorium of, for 3,000 people, you know, <laughs> at the top of a building. It's like, that's different. And uh, so anyway, we go to church. I was, you know, going along with the whole deal and the preacher that day started to talk about how for most people, a big part of the, the Christian journey that we have to kind of push through is the idea that we can separate the sacred space and the secular. That, oh yeah, God has his space, does his thing. I have my space, I do my thing. And basically the preacher went on to say, this is an absolute lie. And it's an it's an absolute lie, and yet, I'll show, as I'll show you in a moment, it's a cultural norm. We actually grow up in the West in particular. We grow up in that framework of uh, sort of God up there in heaven. We are humans here on earth. And then there's this gap in between. And that's a flawed way of thinking. That's actually a flawed way of thinking. If, that's if I can say that, in respect to if you're going to take a biblical worldview of relating to God. And so um, while I was there, I didn't realise, but God decided that it was time for the gap between him and me to be narrowed. And so he came after me. And I, so I thought that was a really great song we sang about the character of God. He's in pursuit of his creation all of the time. And God was in pursuit of me. And his love was breaking in to me and the gap that was between the two of us. Because I wasn't moving from my space, and yet he was pushing through the gap from his space towards me in loving kindness and in power and destroying all of the lies and the worldview that I had in place to keep me in my space and keep him in his space. He was breaking the rules. God was breaking the rules. The, one of the big challenges that we find when we, when we do kind of live with this sacred and secular thinking is we assign to God his space and his realm of activity. And then we assign to ourselves our room, our, our space, and our little uh, activity base. And I'll just try and bring up a couple of the things here. Let me go. Oh, look, hang on. There's the Greek worldview. It's Plato had a lot to do with this kind of thinking. That, you know, God is up high and there's this realm where there's God and supernatural activity and beings and Plato and Greek thinking of the time was all that the gods rule the universe and creation and every now and then you, you need to, from here from the lower realm, 
part of our responsibility is to appease the gods. Because if you don't, then the gods will come down among us. And, and so this kind of thinking uh, was at work in people. And, and that's, that's the thinking that the everyday person on the street here in, in Strathpine, Pine Rivers, Moreton Bay region lives with. This is the worldview that most people live with. Oh, yeah, I'm here. If That's if they even recognise God. They may recognise and be willing to say there's a supernatural reality out there, but they assign it to either up there, way over there, and distant from me. And yet somewhere in most people's stories, they will have these little moments where there's these breakthroughs where what's up there comes down here and people have all sorts of supernatural experiences and language to try and describe that. And a lot of the time, this, uh, this realm up here, we ascribe to where there's both angels of God, there's angels of demons, there's all sorts of demonic warfare and interplay, but it's all up there. And some, for some reason, where the, we, we get the rough end of the the overflow of that down here. That's why our life sucks. That's why our life is hard. That's why life... Because they're busy up there having this big war and we get the, the overflow of that. How unjust, how unfair. And yet this is how most of us are brought up to think and this is the pill that we've swallowed and this is how we interpret the world, our life and our relationship with God and with each other. That thing is really powerful. That thing invades everything, our relationships, how we use, the concept of using money. Well, you're up there. Why do you need up there what we need down here? So why would I give you up there what I need here in terms of resource and money? That doesn't make sense. I have to get over this big leap every time in my head about, why would I give away to someone so far away something that I need right here? This is, this is the, just in the simplest of choices. Am I making sense here? Uh, this, this, thing is, this is the thing that Jesus came to destroy. This is the thing that the, that the demons established, that the height of human thinking void of the revelation of God established as the worldview, the Greek, Greek thinkers. And, and, and Jesus came to break the power of that and not just break the power of it, but destroy it with a complete new worldview that actually at his coming was perceived as a new worldview, but was actually the incarnation of the worldview of God from the very creation, from the very beginning, where he's actually coming in and saying, I'm going to rip this thing down and I'm going to trumpet with the true world view. And then he calls people to himself and he invites people to no longer live the sacred and secular, but to live the kingdom. Let me show you this next slide. Whoop. So let's just tease that sacred secular thing just a little bit more. So when we think, you know, sacred up there, high God, so forth, we think about things that are pertaining to God. They're spiritual things. They're, there's this eternal realm. They're God's affairs. That's religion way up there that somehow we connect to. And yet 
in the secular, these are the things that are pertaining to the physical and the temporal realm, our human affairs, and really not related to religion at all. And so this sacred and secular thing is, um, is a very powerful thing that we have to overcome. Now, when I was sitting there on the 22nd floor at the World Trade Center in Singapore, having a great, ex- great time on my father's expense, God decides he was going to crash this thing down on my life. And he was going to start to tear the lies off my life about this worldview. And he started to love me and draw near to me and start to begin to break through and tell me who I really was according to who he said I was. And in the process of that, Jesus made such an impression on my life that he changed my worldview. I shifted from living in this space and I shifted out of it. Now, when I shifted out of it, I needed to be set free. Because this has power attached to it. Both human reasoning and the power that's there in human reasoning. And it also has the power of spiritual dynamics, of darkness that is fueling that worldview to keep people away from the real story of good news that God has made for people to live in by meeting Jesus. So this power, and this power started to get broken off my life. I started to get set free. I can still remember the night I gave my life to Christ in meeting Jesus. For me personally, not only was it a, an, a, a, an ascent of agreement at this level, and at this level, my heart was flooded with the power of this love that came not from um, any good thinking. It came from God directly to my to my heart. And in the process of that, all of a sudden, the appetites of my body, the thinkings of my mind, my the pursuits and passions that I once had and thought my life should be spent on, all of that got just completely stripped off me and I got delivered and set free to be able to engage with what Jesus was doing in my life as Lord and King. Now, um, he changed my worldview so much that it impacted my every waking moment. You see, because before I met Jesus, well, part of my story of learning to meet Jesus, I was told we need to accept Jesus because this life you live down here while you're in the flesh, it's really important to know Jesus so that you can have an eternal life up there in heaven. Who grew up under that gospel? We all did, or a lot of people did. When the truth of the gospel of the good news is that God, Ephesians, Ephesians, Paul, I love, I love Ephesians. Just dig into Ephesians every chance you get. Where Paul says in the book of Ephesians, he says, actually, God has reconciled the heavens and the earth because the, the earth and the heavens are his creation. Hello. Not just the earth, the earth and the heavens are the creation of God. And they've been invaded by darkness and the chaos, and they have been broken. And so there is this sense of distance and distinction. So we've been, we've been taught 
um, all through the 60s, 70s and 80s about give your life to Christ so that when you die, you get to go and be in the sacred place. You get to go to be with heaven. Whereas Paul says in the book of Ephesians, he would challenge that. He's not saying it's untrue. He's just saying it's not all that there is to the truth. He's actually saying in Ephesians 1.10 that in Jesus Christ coming and making his dwelling among us, God taking on flesh, come and making his dwelling among us, he has brought all things together in himself. Things in heaven, things on earth, things under the earth. Everything now centers in on and is held together in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. No longer is there any gap. No longer is there any distance between heaven and earth. And guess what? When you die, I mean, I might do a message on this one day. What's on the other side? When you die, you do get to spend time with God in the fullness of his presence. But he is still on mission he is still on his mission, and his mission is to reconcile and renew the created order. And so one day, you, Michael, having lived this life, passed away, and in your physical body, to the, back to the earth, and yet your spirit man goes to be in the presence of the Lord God himself, you will spend time there with God until he says, enough. I am now reconciling all things once and for all. There will be no more death. There will be no more tears. There will be none more any of the works of the enemy. And then the new Jerusalem, the kingdom of God, comes from the heavens and is established into the earth once and for all. And the whole created order is renewed in the kindness of God. And you, Michael, you will get flesh. Your flesh will be resurrected. You won't be a ghost wandering around in a white gown, floating along, sort of, what am I meant to be about? You will receive, you will receive your resurrected body, even as Jesus was resurrected from the grave. So too, we all receive the fullness of the kingdom of God as Jesus has won it for us. There is no up there, down here, it's all centred on Jesus. All around Jesus, it's all about Jesus, the King of the Kingdom. Let me just, you know, show you this. Um, historically, most of us have, on the left here have been told you need the reason why you need to believe the right things about Jesus here is so that if you make the right confession, your sins will be forgiven. And you will have eternal life. And so you are safe. And what we do is we put a big boundary there that says, I'm safe. This is the kingdom of God. That isn't the kingdom of God. And so through our confession, in part, this is true. But the other part of where we live as followers of Jesus here and now in as Jesus is reconciled and reconciling and will reconcile all things to himself. You've got to hold this big picture in play. I know it's big and wordy, but hang in there. You're doing good. 
everything is founded on Jesus and his lordship. And it's all about relational proximity. The kingdom is about relational proximity to the person of Jesus Christ in our daily life. It's not about in or out anymore for the follower of Jesus. For the, I'm, and I'm bunching that most of you in here are followers of Jesus. For those of you who haven't said yes to Christ, my encouragement to you is the good news is there for you too. Give your life to Jesus and let him set you free from the having to live with this sense of sacred and secular and let him bring you into the fullness of his kingdom in the now and the soon coming. Is that good news, Dave? It is the news. Thanks, brother. That was a big underline. Well done, mate. Hey, if you've got your Bible, open it up quickly to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, we see Peter and, the, and John going to the temple to pray at 3 in the afternoon. And um, if you've got your Bible, open it up. If not, it is on the screen. In Acts chapter 3, verse 1, let me read. One day Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon, and now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking, jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising, walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, let me pull up stumps there. That was Peter and John walking in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit. That was not Jesus. That was not Jesus. That was Peter and John walking in relationship with Jesus, but it wasn't Jesus. It was Peter and John partnering with the person of Jesus Christ for the sake of another. It's really important to pay attention to some of the nuances. Now, when you read that, like me, you probably read that and go, oh, yeah, he looked at the crippled guy, told him, get up, took him by the hand, he got up, his ankles got strong, he walked, and everyone went, woohoo, yeah, and we move on to the next verse. Just slow that down. Slow that right down. It says, Luke makes a point of saying, this guy's been crippled, lame, since birth. Now, 
I, I'm not sure if you have family or, or work colleagues or, or people that you may know who have been lame and or are lame. And when you don't get to use your legs for a long time, they atrophy and all the muscle definition falls away and fades away and all of the associated strength with those muscles all fades away and falls away and folk who have paralysis of any condition in their legs, you will see how their legs are lame. They are atrophied. There's no strength in them. Ponder that. Just let that click into gear. And Peter, the, the bravado, the confidence of this guy, of this human being who now lives under the lordship of King Jesus, he goes, well, I've seen my king do this before and he sent me to do his business. So I'm just going to put my hand out there. Here, give me your hand. Get up. Just can you feel the awkward in that space? Can you feel the, the awkward, the risk, the, oh, my gosh, what if this doesn't happen? Can you, can you just, you, it's really important you pay attention to all of that. And can you even hear the voices saying, don't be stupid, that's unreasonable. Because that, when you start going, that's unreasonable, that's because that belongs up there in the God sector and you're just a human being. There, who do you think you are? Well, actually, Jesus shows us what being a fully flourishing human being looks like, created in the image of God to both bring the worship of people to God and to bring the kingdom of God to people. That's our role as human beings. It's a wonderful calling on each and every one of us. We get to bring the worship of creation to God as image bearers of God. And we get to also bring the kingdom of God to the created order. So Peter does this. And I kind of imagine three in the afternoon, not too cool, probably hot, probably hot and sweaty, probably noisy. And I'm just, I'm thinking, did, was, it, was, it, was there silence when that happened? When this guy who's been lame from birth, all of a sudden, Strength comes into his ankles. Paul, uh, uh, Luke, make Doctor Luke makes a specific point of going. Look at what's happening to his ankles right now. There's strength coming into that. What would that have looked like? What would that have sounded like? That would be. Conf- I, I, I've been around some of that stuff before. It's confronting. That's what it is. It's confronting because it goes from being this thing where we've you know broken the power of that secular sacred divide we've smashed through that and now we've come into an eye-opening reality of true kingdom life what we've always been made for and the other confronting thing is that God reveals who he is and his great love for people how could he do such a thing and so anyway I imagine there was a lot of noise associated with it I, it doesn't say there was any feedback from the man who was lame 
as Paul, as John and Peter said, um, we don't have anything, but we've got this. We've got the name of Jesus, and so in His name, we we declare the kingdom of God to you. Get up. I'm. I doesn't say if there was any pushback on that in this text, but I wonder if the lame guy's like, yeah, like you're the next guy <laughs> that's, that's tried to do this for me. But anyway, he got their attention. They, he gave them his attention, and I reckon it was probably noisy. I reckon it was probably clunky. I reckon it was confronting. I reckon it would have been like, he's up, he's wobbling, he's, whoop, hang on, grab him. He's going to go over. Hang on, there's more strength coming into his body. Hold him, support him. Here it comes. So like, I, I imagine all of that's going on. So the, and it doesn't say what time, how long that took. We read it like, oh, yeah. It started at three in the afternoon, but I don't know how. Did it was it three to three oh five that this happened? Was it three till three forty? I don't know. Was it three? Was it a ministry session that went from the strength coming into his ankles and his being able to stand up? Was that like a two-hour gig? I don't know. The scripture doesn't say. But I sure as heck don't think it was a like magic. I reckon it was people learning as disciples of Jesus, to partner with the power of God at work in a circumstance. And that starts with small stuff and it grows. And it's learning to partner with God as it grows. Um, The manifestation of the, the Holy Spirit, John Wimber once said, is meant to be a given. Well, I can't find him. Where is he? Oop, there he is. It's not supposed to be an exception to the kingdom life when we see the person of the Holy Spirit at work. And I have a hunch that in this encounter, there was something of the dynamic of Jesus is the Lord in this circumstance. He's the king of the world, the maker of heavens and earth. He's given us this authority to look at that and go, hmm, that doesn't look like the kingdom. And the bit that doesn't look like the kingdom is actually looking to us right now in this moment and saying, give me something. Give me something. And these guys give them their best. (laughs) They give them the norm. Not the exception to the rule. The norm. The normal kingdom life. To expect to see the Holy Spirit at work like this. Um, There's a... Uh, just shooting back there, I love this um, quote that Putty Putman used while he was here in Australia, and it's in it's. It, he used this quote. He says, "We are naturally supernatural, not minimally supernatural." In other words, the call to the kingdom life is to be conformed to the image of Jesus, and not just the image in terms of an icon, but the way, the life the truth, the outworking of what it looks like when a human being is fully alive to God. That's what it means to be naturally supernatural. The supernatural is meant to be part of our daily life. And yet, because of the sacred-secular divide, we keep it up there as somehow foreign or distant or odd 
that the supernatural would invade our daily life, when in fact in Jesus Christ, the supernatural is taking place around us, in us and over us all the time. Jesus is the centre. He holds all things together. Um, Peter looked. Uh, Peter looked straight at him. I think that's a really important practical key for anyone that's serious about learning to live the kingdom life and do the works of Jesus. Peter looked. Um, often our first reaction to when people are saying, I, you, give me something, is we see and hear the need and often we divert our eyes. <laughs> it's going to require something of me. Well, let me relieve you, even as I've been relieved. Peter and John step into a space where the space, the gentleman says, give me something. And their first response is, I haven't got anything. <laughs> I got no gold. I got no silver. I can't buy your way out of this. I can't get you the best practitioners to give you health for this. I can't afford this. I can't do it. I got nothing. But what I do have is Jesus. And often we avert our eyes when we see need and we hear need because we often think, I have to fix it. Let me, be, let me just be right up front. Be free from that. The reason why they're asking for something of us is because, like in this situation, they are seeing Peter and John, you and me, they are seeing kingdom people who carry something that they don't know what it is, and yet they look to us, and we can bring the kingdom. We can bring Jesus. Peter looked in response to the call from the man born lame, eyes looking for evidence of the Father's work. Do we avert our eyes? Or when we look and see the kingdom, one of the best signs that I can you know, tell you that the Spirit is inviting you into something that God is doing is that when your eyes go there to the need, compassion will fill you at the same time for what you're seeing. And you will go, I haven't got the resources in the natural to help with that. But if I, this compassion, compelling work of the Spirit within us actually causes us to lean toward the need. Compassion is a very strong indicator that it's the Holy Spirit saying, lean into this, partner with me for this person, for this situation, for this need. The other day, someone was telling me they, well, someone was saying they needed a job, they needed work, and I was like, yep, okay, that's good. I'll pray for you. And so anyway, as I was <clears throat> just about the course of my day, in the course of a, you know, my usual daily life of work and busyness and family and all that sort of stuff, all of a sudden, this guy came to my mind. And then my heart started to fill with compassion. I'm like, Hang on, this guy's situation needs to change God. And so I just downed tools and I partnered with the Holy Spirit for a while. I walked around and I prayed and I kind of said, Oh, God, oh, God, I named this guy. I'm like, come on, Lord. He's got a family. He's got children. He, 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 needs, to, he, he needs resource, Father. 
I didn't do it out of a list. I w- it was actually, it was an interruption from the Spirit in the course of my day. And he stirred in my heart, compassion welled up. I prayed for a while and then I felt that burden lift. Just like as, as, even as it came, it was gone. Next day, the guy rings and says, hey, guess what? I'm like, what? He says, i got a job. I'm like, hey, how cool is that? Go God. <laughs> Go God. Compassion. Pay attention to the compassion because it's often the Holy Spirit saying, follow me into this because God's about to bring a work here. He's about to bring a kingdom work here. Compassion looks like that. Peter proclaimed the kingdom to the condition with the authority as if King Jesus himself was giving the directive. Get up. We here in the vineyard, we have a very simple approach to this. We are naturally supernatural people. This is our kingdom lifestyle. And we understand that as people of King Jesus, we are at all times living right in the centre of what he's doing because he has centred himself in us. We are right in the thick of everything that Jesus is doing as he's partnering with what the Father is busy about in the earth. We're in the centre of it. We're not on the sideline. Again, it's not for the holy anointed professionals up there and us lowly sort of people here. No, blow that off. You are in the centre of the activity of the kingdom of God breaking into the earth because you are centred in Christ and Christ is centred in you and in you, through you and around you, the kingdom is unleashing the heavens of God on and into the earth and breaking the power of the enemy and setting people free. You can't get out of it. You try... So many of us bench ourselves. It's not Jesus. We think we have to have it all together and be totally healed to do the stuff, partner with God. No. Again, I have to be holy to be able to do the works of God, but I'm not, and so I can't, and I'm disqualified. Wrong. You get to partner with God because you have come into Christ Jesus the son of the living God who's brought all things together in himself and is now reconciled the heavens and the earth and everything under the earth to himself. It all holds together in him and he's unleashing love in the earth. And you and I can't bench ourselves. The enemy wants to even tell you. Even in our places of depression and anxiety, we are disqualified. Wrong You are not disqualified by that. The enemy wants to bench you and tell you you are unworthy. God just takes people as they are and walks with them as they are and fills them with his spirit as they are. Lean with God, lean into God. We are naturally supernatural, not minimally supernatural. We learn to risk letting our eyes see what God sees and we, have, we give ourselves permission to step into that awkward space of like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen now? That is our kingdom life. I'm going to wrap here, wrap up. Uh, just back one here. If I can get it back there. There it is. 
you know that scripture in in, in Luke uh, about the mustard uh, in Mark about the mustard seed being the smallest of the seeds. Jesus does this wonderful teaching on what can I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like the mustard seed. It's the smallest of seeds. And if you even had it on your hand and the slightest of breeze came along, it would just, and you wouldn't know where it went or landed. This is what the kingdom of God is like in the earth. It starts like that in someone's life. And yet that very small seed actually then grows to become the largest of plants in the garden. And all the birds of the air find their home in that tree. Partnering with the Holy Spirit often seems like these little mustard seed moments. Like, I think maybe God wants to do something there for that person. I think... And then all of a sudden, compassion starts to build. And it's like, but I don't know what to do. I don't feel like I have anything to bring. But what we do have is we have Jesus to bring. And in bringing Jesus, we begin to see, and partnering with Jesus, we begin to see the kingdom come. This just isn't this last week. Uh, you know, Nick and I, we, we, um, we go to the gym together on a Thursday morning and we pay someone to basically take us to the doorstep of hell you know, and we complain for the rest of the week how sore we are. And we say, gee, we feel so great for doing this. Let's pay to play. So anyway, we do this. And anyway, in the course of our time there at the, at, at the gym, our PT and um, some of the young adults around the PT just started talking with us about some of the circumstances that they're navigating as young adults. I'm just trying to go and work out. <laughs> just, I'm just trying to... <clears throat> I wrote in my notes because I was having a bellyache to God about it. I was like, God, I'm trying to have a day off. And he said, you can have a day off from work, but the kingdom doesn't have a day off. The kingdom's always at work. I'm like, oh, okay. So it's not work, it's your kingdom. Hello? It's your kingdom. So anyway, after I had a bit of bellyache with the Lord about it, we listen to their circumstance, and they're, they're just navigating some really tough cultural and relational um, challenges that are born out of loads of just brokenness and dysfunction and cultural lies and activities in the hope that they would find who they are. And so we find ourselves partnering with God in the gym and li literally having two or three around us just saying that, you, you guys got to understand, we don't, we don't have an answer for you other than this. And my wife, she went for it. She's like, we've only got Jesus and you need Jesus. That's all we've got to offer you. Well, the next, the next time we go to the gym, uh, oh, sorry, that was Tuesday. Then on Thursday, I just, we decided to go twice this week because Thursday was my birthday. What a way to start the day for your birthday. Just Let's go crazy. Anyway, we're, we're working out and, and our PT says to us, you know what, there's something about you guys. You're the kind of people that other people want to be around. And my wife, without skip of a heartbeat, she straight away says, ah, oh, that's because you're seeing Jesus. It's Jesus. That's all we have to offer the world is Jesus. It's so great being, you can't even on your day off. 
on your day off, <laughs> whatever your job is. The kingdom's always at work, always advancing. Love is always shining. We can't even bench ourselves <laughs> from the kingdom because we're centered in the person of the king. So he's, and he's always just doing what the father's on about, which is setting the captives free and bringing people to life. <laughs> with every conversation, with every prayer and so forth. The Holy Spirit, the phenomena of the person of the Holy Spirit is powerful and dynamic and we should have this as our everyday expectation and norm. I've got a whole bunch of notes that I've got here for you guys to all take a copy home.